I'm Joshua Potts, Mr. Pottsville, always with the brother with the same mother, Aaron Potts, Super Hot Potts, and you're watching and listening to your favorite two black runners every single two black two. From New York, man. Y'all just listened to two great podcasts we did live. But we're finally yes, back yes. from New York, Joshua, and we have an amazing guest that we brought with us, bro. So I'm 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 hyped. I'm hyped. Not for real, for real. This is our first time. This is gonna be first time hearing a podcast, not from New York, live from New York. We're back in our humble abodes, me in Eastville, California, Aaron in Santa Barbara, California, and we're really just doing our thing. But before we get into this podcast, I want to say thank you to everybody out there in New York that was showing love, that was feeding life into us and everything in which way. And I really am hyped for this podcast. So we should low-key just get into it, man. Like me and Aaron, we saw this guy running in his last, what, like 300 meters or last like 800 meters of the marathon and was like wait hold up this man is killing it right now and we just had and then once i seen him like a post about him on instagram on someone else's story shout out tracks to because they did something the wfut of breaking the world record for like the third or fifth time for the marathon again running 235 55 marco chisetto from kenya on the podcast right now bro this is marco this is crazy thank you for joining us on the podcast you just ran 235 55 at new york city marathon breaking your own world record first off let's just start there let's start there for a second but just how are you doing we know you just woke up for a nap because we were talking off wax for a second but how's it going how's it going you know i'm doing good this is my first uh weekend that i don't have anything coming up i didn't have a run so i was just like oh it's just you know sometimes it's good to just reboot and just go to your you know factory setting and just do nothing just be yourself so i was just being myself today doing nothing but i'm doing good yeah i love that for sure and yeah we just came from new york as well and it was so busy buzzing so much energy in the air so i could definitely that nap i know was much needed i feel like me and joshua have been like going full gas i'm taking i'm taking a nap after this i'll tell you that i'm definitely taking a nap <laughs> after this i need i need that i need that for sure one thing when we were in New York is, I mean, this video, it may it may be released by the time this podcast comes out, but we were going around, we were asking like athletes and spectators, you know, what makes the marathon special? What makes the New York marathon special? So I wanted to just ask you, for you, like, what is it about the marathon that's just like so special and the New York marathon in particular? You know, sometimes we underestimate what our abilities can be. But then at the same time, we don't really know what are these or what is your body capable of doing. One of the events that people test their human limits or potential is running a marathon. It's just such a long event, very rigorous, that when you finish it, there's that sense of self-fulfillment that you get from running a marathon so you cross that finish line then you're like yes this is it i feel great and for new york city marathon for me growing up in kenya you know talking about new york when i was in those villages was something that i never imagined it was just going to be a city that i could just go anytime that i wanted to so the New York City Marathon, running through those five boroughs, running, you know, through those B across the huge bridges and being able to just finish. And, you know, they decided, you know, a marathon, I tell people, in itself is running an uphill, regardless of the course. You can be running it in a flat course, but it's an uphill task in itself. But then the beauty of New York is they literally make you run an uphill <laughs> to the finish. So it gives you that mental preparedness that, yes, I have done all this 20-something 
miles and I have a few, you know, yards to go. Am I able to just hold myself and finish it? And once you finish it, once you cross a line in that New York City Marathon, it gives you that insight that, wow, I am able to do anything if I was able to finish this marathon. And I, I totally do believe that. I and mean, a lot of people that we talked about, the talk to at the New York City Marathon, we made that wide marathoning video. They they elaborate on that as well. Just being able to finish that high of a feat. But for our listeners out there, I don't think they completely understand like who you are, Marco. Like this guy, he's a, he's a double double amputee, like a blade runner. Like you see the sprinters and like the four hundred and the one hundred. And when I first think of somebody with like prosthetics, it, my mind's first goes to like Oscar Pistorius or Hunter Woodhall now in the four hundred. But to see you and the others in the marathon with like a prosthetic leg, that's just totally inspiring to me because to do that for 26.2 miles seems insane. And then for you to do that and to be running next to some people that are like semi-pro and running 235. Shalane Flanagan, Shalane running, Flanagan. Running 235 doing that, which is fast, like... How how did you do that? Plus on the New York City Marathon course, that's a, like you said, that's There's a, a lot hard of uphill. course. Like, what was the challenges of just running that course and running so fast on it? I think everything we do depends on how, what we tell ourselves. You know, I, you know, going to New York, I knew I was going to run in a hard course on two blades, missing both my feet below the knee. But then at the same time, I have never had an experience or I have never thought of anything in life that is so simple that I have done that I say, you know what? I'll stick with my simple stuff. Everything in life in its life in itself is hard. Mm -hmm. So there was, you know, running a New York City Marathon. Yes, it's a hard course, but at the same time, you know, it's me asking myself, it's other runners ask, asking themselves, if this is hard, what is your easy? And where can that easy take you to? Hmm. That was a bar. That was a bar. I was thinking of this morning, one of my coaches uh, told told us and like our team before that uh, what like running and what we do, it's for like the elite level, like it's not ordinary. So don't do ordinary things. Like to in order to be extraordinary, you can't do the ordinary. And the, the run 26.2 miles isn't ordinary. Like you said, it's hard. And that's definitely, yeah, you cannot limit yourself at all, especially accomplishing the feat that you have done. Yeah, and I think like you're saying, Joshua, like, or in, and you as well, Marco, when you're going into it already, it's like you have to already accept that I have to make these choices, whether, you know, it's deciding to, you know, go hang out with friends or run, but you got to make that decision in your head that like, you know, I want to be extraordinary. I want to be great. So I'm going to do these things that are going to make me great. But Marco, also, we saw on your Instagram post that you said New York, the New York Marathon, um, it marked back 10 years to when you were, we'll go back into your story, but when you were found with the frostbite on your legs, what, what did that how was that coming full circle? Like after you finished and set that world record, like how how did it, what was that feeling like to come full circle to think back ten years ago when you when you were found out you were going to lose your limbs? You know, I think um, for me that is a true testimony that nothing in life is permanent. Whatever is happening to you today. It's not going to define the things that you can do in the future. You could be having a very hard moment as we speak. But then that doesn't mean that your life is stuck at that very difficult moment forever. Additionally, it tells us that if you put your mind, soul, and body in something, you can make it out of it because when, you know, 10 years ago, looking back, an incident happens to me and I had two choices to accept that what had happened to me will 
define the rest of my life or me telling myself, I will not let this define who I am. And I choose the ladder. I say, I'm not going to sit down here and feel sorry for myself. I have to keep pushing. And I didn't know where keep pushing would lead me to, but I believed that doing something productive, doing something extraordinary will lead me to living an extraordinary life in a good way. So to be able to be standing at the start line of the New York City Marathon, looking back that 10 years on the day of the marathon was a day that I couldn't even stand up by myself. I couldn't even remember anything. Mm -hmm. And being able to be there by myself, telling myself I'm about to run 26.2 miles was just an incredible story of comeback. You know, I think that to me is one of the greatest comebacks ever. To be able to look back 10 years that I was not able to walk on my feet. And then now 10 years later, I am running on blades and not just running, running, you know, for somebody who was behind me saying, oh yeah, I'm gonna see what this guy does. I think, you know, they had to give it all for them to hang on to me while yeah. I was running. So that is, uh, you know, a message that, you know, sometimes they say, you know, you know, a picture has a thousand words. Imagine, you know, a picture has thousands of meaning. Imagine a true testimony like this. I'm speaking about a real life experience. Yes, regardless of what you're going through right now, that is not a divination of who you are going to be. And in life, things happen, successes, tragedies, all these other things, but there's no order of occurrence. It's not like, it's, it's not been designed that your life will start with all these challenges and end with successes, or it will start with successes and end with challenges. You can be hit by either of them at any point in your life. We just have to know that if you are faced with such circumstance in life, you can overcome it. Hey, yes, man, yes, we're going to get some totally, gems. Totally, we're going to get some gems today. Y'all going to sit back. Y'all better sit back. We're going to get some gems today from Marco. He, he he preaching to us right now. For real. But like, that's, that's a, it's, that's also like, that's hard. That's hard to feel that, but that's hard to feel that. But to see this, your story and other people's stories over the years, it's a definitely a constant reminder because everything you speaking, like, it, but then that's also like hard to apply at times. But then to be reminded of what you're able to do and seeing people like you is definitely an inspiration to keep moving forward. And then with your race at New York City as well, like the run 235, and that's just such a poetic moment to be like 10 years to the day, just about such a poetic and like a victory just to be on that line. But 235, where you, how'd you feel about that race? Do you feel like you could run faster than 235? Were you finishing and be like, yeah, I could run like, I can run like 234, you know? Like, was that, was that like, do you think you have more like you can accomplish like in the marathon to get faster in New York City and everything? If you look at the history of running marathons, nobody has broken a record. If you look at the able bodies in New York City marathon, that's one of the hardest courses. So yeah. for me to be able to, run that fast to run my PR, my fastest time in New York Marathon. Yes, that gave me the, you know, that sometimes you might have a self-doubt that, man, am I going to be able to do this faster than I did today? Of course, I know for sure that I will because of where I did my fastest time on my last marathon, being able to do that at the New York City Marathon. So yes, I still have a lot in the tank and I'm sure I will run a faster time in the future time. I'm looking forward to that. Also, you were saying that you were saying um, earlier too, you know, you, you got, you got the kids, you got a wife. What was it like? Was your family out there watching you uh, run the marathon and what was it like for them to just like see you, you know, do something so amazing and extraordinary? My family were not in New York, but they were following at home. 
And, you know, as soon as I get to the finish line, walked to go get my, you know, stuff, uh, you know, one of the VIP tents, took out my phone. And the first thing I saw was a text message from my wife that had a video that my kids had already made and sent it to me. And they were so grateful. You know, my kids now know, you know, you know how to track me. So every time they are looking and they understand, that, oh, dad is doing really good. Look, she re- he ran this in this first mile. This is. So they were following mm-hmm. and they realized that, you know, I was running my fastest time. So, you know, everyone was excited. I was excited too, you know, coming across the finish line with that good of a time at the New York City Marathon. Yeah. So my family were very excited about this. As we move a little bit more into the podcast, we always like to rewind it back to like the beginning. And we know like your journey in track and field didn't just start 10 years ago or track and field and just running in general. But what really inspired you to like start running, start running in the sport when you're in Kenya? And why did you keep on going with running after you were inspired? You know, I tell people running in Kenya was a means of getting from one place to another for me. That was the only way we could get to places. We, I didn't have a school bus growing up that would take me to school. But then when they say this is something that you could do and it could take you to places, it was just an easy thing. It was just like, oh, I am always doing this. Let me try and run and you know test myself with my friends. But then as I grew up, I understood the importance of running and what it could do to me. So went to high school and then went to college in Kenya. And as I was, you know, running in college in Kenya, I met a coach who offered me athletic scholarships in America. So that is why running became such an important aspect of me. Mm-hmm. Because ran it, and then I was able to secure a scholarship and got my education in America. And now it's taken me to places. You know, of course, we know Kenya is known for long distance runners. We had a lot of uh, role models growing up. We would hear they ran in New York Marathon, in Berlin, in London, in all these major races. And as a kid, you're growing up telling yourself, man, I want to do all these cool things and travel around the world like so and so, somebody you know from your village and do, you know. So that was also a motivational factor for me to run. But then of course now, you know, there's more things to running, you know, with, you know, there's so much science about running and at the state that I am in, you know, there's more that that I understand about running than just running in a village in Kenya. And then I just watched, I was just watching a video, like a little documentary on like you on YouTube. And it was saying how like your father uh, like sold some of his livestock in order for you like to get over to like the States and to like Alaska, to Anchorage, Alaska. Just how was that for him like to go like all in on you to, to get over to the States and pursue this running thing? And how was that for you for to get that at the young age, that support from your family? You know, my dad and my mom, you know, my parents understood the importance of education, you know, being able to tell them I'm going to a university in America, but I'm just going to pay my school fees by running, but I need a little bit of help to get there was a motivation to them. They had, you know, every parent, you know, supports a noble idea that their child comes up with. And I'm lucky to be one of those uh, the kids that his parents supported what I wanted to do, but it meant a lot to me. I knew that I had a responsibility of making it through because of what sacrifices had been made on my behalf. Mm-hmm. You know, it was such a, you know, fulfilling, a feeling at the same time, uh, you know, knowing that my parents trusted me and trusted to send me to a place that they've never even been to themselves. Yeah. And of all places like Alaska, like, like, did you understand cold, like, man. like Alaska was the opposite of, Ken- of, of Kenya when it came to weather? I mean, 
people. People. Like <laughs> animals. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like what was you know, it like? This is my this is I have one of the best excuses for having landed in Alaska. In 2008, before I left Kenya in August, Google did not work in my village. So I was ah. not able to free <laughs> to see Alaska before I got to Alaska. But, you know, having said that, the opportunity to be able, you know, coming to America is not an easy thing from some of these countries, you know, Kenya being one of them. It's not something that you just book your ticket and say, I'm going to America. The last thing you do before you come to America as a student athlete is getting a air ticket. But there are so many other things that you have to do in order mm -hmm. to come to this country. So there were so many you know, steps and items that I had to finish before I could go to the embassy and get a visa to mm -hmm. come to the US. So that opportunity that had presented myself to me didn't give me the luxury to just look onto things like weather and uh, global position of yeah. where I was going and is it warm, cold? It was the opportunity. You know, I like to tell people sometimes, you know, opportunities don't come and ring doorbells. You have to get out there and seek for those opportunities yourself. For my case, my opportunity came and rang a doorbell because I did not do anything. I was just running and somebody identified me and said, hey, I'm here to offer you this. So I did not have an option to, or I wouldn't just squander my opportunity by just being picky of where am I going? And, you know, I didn't question it. I knew it was their best move. And up to today, it's one of the best decisions that I made for myself. Yeah, cl close mouths don't eat. Close mouths don't eat. You gotta go. That, that is that true. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like to make it out. What was it like to you know you get off the plane when you get there for that first time? And you're like you're in Alaska. Was that was that a culture shock? Like how was it being able to just like adjust from the beginning? Hey, you know, the first time we landed and we were told to be plane, we we're like, oh, we are in the wrong place. <laughs> definitely, we are lost because. Our itinerary says we arrive at 8.30 p.m. And we just landed. No, of course, we, we're, still on our, we're still on our Kenyan time. Every time, you know, we, you know my, my watch was not showing the accurate time. I didn't have a phone then. It was just, and yeah. to be able to look and be like, is this Alaska? But then it says we are supposed to arrive at night, but it's like midday right now. Yeah. So that, yeah, you know, the first thing was just a complete bizarre outlook of how a time of a day will look in a place like Alaska then. But, you know, I was still young, 23 years or 22, 23. As a young person, there's always a curiosity and, you know, getting away from home and like I've, now I have to do my own things in a good way. So it, there was that aspect of life too. And we had some Kenyan uh, kids who are already there. So it was not like we did not have anybody there to give us a briefing of what mm -hmm. to expect. So that kind of helped us transition uh, from Kenya to Alaska. But still, uh, there was a lot of things. Uh, oh, you know, the wild animals were just out there. They said, oh, that's a moose just chewing some flowers outside. I was like, what is this? A big wild cow or something? <laughs> yeah. I, I would be thinking the same thing, right? I never seen a moose like that. That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> but how'd you just like uh before we dive, how'd you just like uh like just running at in Alaska and like collegiate running basically on the track in the cross country? How did you enjoy that once you were able to get over there? You know, like I said, I don't regret my decision going to Alaska at all because I was able to travel to so many parts of the country because we didn't have home meet in Alaska. For us yeah. to compete, that meant we would fly. Remember, this is a kid whose first flight was from Kenya 
to Alaska. And now to be able to be just flying around the country every two weeks was just an opportunity that was just in itself a good opportunity for me. It, it taught me a lot of things in life. It took me to so many places, met a lot of people, and at the same time, getting my education. Uh, so it was such a good place to train in the summers and even the winters in Alaska. During you know, long runs, you're running on the snow. It's mm -hmm. always so nice to just run on a soft ground. And particularly for somebody who had grown up in Kenya where most training was on dirt roads. And now all of a sudden, everywhere is, you know, a rock. There is no soft place to go and run. So uh, Alaska provided us that opportunity to be able to train in a softer ground. And we had a lot of trails that were not paved. So it, it had a lot of its good uh, aspects. And in the summers, you know, fishing and hiking and yeah. camping, you know, there was so much that, you know, we did or I did as a college student while in Alaska. Yeah, I went to Azusa Pacific. It's a Division II school. So oh, like, yeah. we would we would see Alaska Anchorage a, a lot. And y'all are not like Alaska Anchorage is, is great, has always has great teams. They do have like a yeah, like a Kenyan presence on their team, but in cross country and track, you guys are always up there battling and and really doing your thing. So it's just interesting to hear like how how you got there um and being on that and being on that team you may remember like i don't know if you were there like aaron rono he was nai but nai back then but he was a, a kenyan athlete we had on our team that was pretty good during that time um but also too we were reading into your story we saw that you recruited your cousin or really like pushed for your cousin to join you as well was he a runner or what made you want to bring him out there with you he was a good runner. He, I knew he was going to be a good project for, yeah, so he was a good runner. So I had made a recommendation and when he came, he just blended in. We ran together and he did great that first year of college. One thing, before we go more into that too, I wanted to ask, because we've been talking about opportunity a lot, then having, even bringing your cousin on the team, that opportunity to bring him there. Is that something you also uh, preach to your kids now? like that opportunity of anything like, I think your kids are a little are a little younger now so they're not getting as many opportunities but is that something that you're already starting to like preach into them like when these opportunities come of just like what little things that could be just around the house or something is that something that you're already starting to preach, preach to them as well yes uh, yes I do and there's so many th things that my kids are way you know ahead at their age than I was at their age and so I remind them that all the time that you guys are set for success from the get-go. You are way up there. There is nothing that there is nothing that you can use to say we were not presented with an opportunity that would have helped us prosper. Everything that you need to prosper is there. You have it with you. There is nothing else that you need to make it in life. But then at the same time, you know, we, from my story, we can even learn a few things that you don't need everything to succeed anyway. Look at running in itself. If we have to check, we have to make a check mark on the things that you have to meet to qualify for running, one would be your feet. You have to have legs to run. But mm -hmm. see, from my story, I still do it even without passing the check, one of the check marks as a prerequisite for running. So it's one of the things that I tell them, you know, it's not that you have to have everything for you to succeed. There is no 100% opportunity for you to make it to the other side. It's whatever opportunity you get, whatever chance you get, use that to the maximum. Most definitely, most definitely. And I think that goes straight into what you were saying earlier, that whatever position that you find yourself in, too, that it, you can, you're eventually going to get out of it. And no matter where you are, opportunities and blessings are going to come to your way. And while you're in college, reading into your story, 
you you were you found yourself in a real tough position when your your cousin tragically passed passed away and then if undergoing like depression and everything like that and then with your legs being lost i just i i personally don't know how that could feel at all but it seems like you went through a lot of grief during your time in college and of just times of passing from your cousin and then then the removal of your legs as well just how was it overcoming all that grief at a time in your early 20s where it's supposed to be like you know like kind of happy at times but it can also be a time where life just smacks you in the face and like oh like this this is a lot going on you know i just like i said i think sometimes after things had happened to you like if we we try to create a scenario right now three of us and imagine what if we were presented to with these scenarios i think it's going to be very hard for us to come with an answer because we are not in that scenario in the first place. Our brain will go to that mode of, no, why would I even try and figure out something that I'm not in? But I was in a very tight position where I had gone for a run after taking some medications, went for a run and passed out from an overdose. 56 hours later, wheeled myself to a hotel lobby and taken to the hospital and then a few days later being told we cannot save your feet we have to amputate them and then they are removed and then i'm left there now to recover from a mental struggle and a physical struggle now i have to heal two things my physical body injured and my mind so it was a tough thing but as i was in the hospital bed you know trying to ask myself how did I get to where I am in the first place? And then, you know, being able to look back and be like, you know, I'm here because I thought I could have prevented my cousin from dying, but I didn't do that. Then again, I'm here now because my feet had to be amputated. But then if I really, really had ways and means of preventing things from happening, what would be the first thing that I would prevent it? my own self, I would have prevented my body from being removed, some part of my body from being removed. But then I didn't do that either. So then I, you know, as I'm there learning some tough lessons in life, realize, you know, in life, sometimes I think there would be things that we can, you know, prevent and some that we don't even have control over, we'll just let it go and stuff will happen you know, tragic events, opportunities, and all this will happen in life. We just have to learn how to live with all this that life presents to us. So then, you know, I, I was able to just self-talk, mm-hmm. talk to myself and encourage myself that, you know what, one day at a time. At the time, it was 2011, the 2012 Paralympics was you know, getting underway and, you know, being able to read some stories of some of the people without feet, like the infamous South African Oscar stories and some other athletes, you know, that had some sense of inspiration that, you know what, maybe there's a chance in my life that I can be functional again. So I pushed myself and then I decided also to use my story to help other people because then that would be a healing process for me. Mm -hmm. So I spoke a lot about what, and I am still speaking a lot about what I went through and, you know, the mental aspect and why we need to be comfortable speaking about our mental struggles, just like you would speak about your, you know, a heart attack, you know, hypertension or any other disease because it's, it's an illness, but the shame that is associated with it it's kind of hard sometimes to just brave and speak about it as your own experience. And I think that is what helped me a lot. I was able to speak on, you know, and I'm still speaking, you know, sometimes on live television, sometimes uh, invited to speak to a group of people. But I always tell people that do not question yourself so much try and accept the situation 
that you are in and work from there. And who cares what other people think about? Like, you know, people are like, oh man, what will people think about me? And this is my question that I ask myself. How do you even know if somebody's thinking about you? That is your own. How many times are you thinking about people? Myself, I ask myself that. Do you go around walking thinking about people? Or are you thinking about how you're going to change your life and how you're going to help somebody in life? I'm not thinking about, yes, and when I'm thinking about people, I'm thinking about me and maybe my friend needs help. Or maybe I need to hang out with some people or maybe I need to meet this person or what is this person going through? I'm not thinking, wow, how depressed is this person walking on the road today? Or like what challenges do they have in life? So I think we stop questioning ourselves on like things that nobody could even be thinking about and sharing a story, talking with someone and being genuine to yourself and to the people you trust I think that is a way we can tackle mental health. And for us as a society, for somebody who is not experiencing a mental health at the moment, let's not be part of the problem. Let's be part of the solution. Let me not be those people who be like, you can get over it, get over it, man. You know, why are you so depressed? Go for a run, do this. It's not just a quick fix like that. Just listening. And that is the hardest part that I am still teaching myself to being able to sit down and listen to someone tell you what challenges they are facing and listening genuinely because even people who are going through mental health, they are not very dumb. They know when you are listening and genuinely listening. Yeah. yeah. Would you would you say, so a lot of times you hear like runners in particular, like we say like running is like our mental like escape. Like that's like your, your mental health break. Uh, when you first uh, lost your legs or even before you lost your, lost your legs from the knee down was, was running that for you, was running that for you. And after you were hurt, did you have someone that you were able to talk to that was able to, that genuinely listen to you? Yes. Running has been part of like my therapy, you know, before even amputation, because, you know, you going through school, you're getting so like, you know, the homework and everything that's associated with school, you go for a run. Oh man, that one hour, one and a half hours, two hours out there, you come back, you're like so refreshed. Yes, it is. And up to now, it's still my therapy. I do this for my sanity. Like, yes, I have to go out there and run. And, you know, there's there's something with running. You run, you sweat, you come and take a shower, you change to different sets of clothes, and then you feel like you're different person. And yes, I am lucky. I had so many people who listened to me and even today. And like, as I, even I speak now, I didn't get rid of all my challenges in life. Unfortunately, they are there. It's human. It's That is how humanity is. We have challenges, but it doesn't mean that our life has to end there. Those challenges, we can learn to live with those challenges. And that is the fun part about it. Imagine of a life that was so linear, like you knew exactly where it was headed. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking myself, that would be so boring. It's good sometimes to know that, well, you know, anything can happen. So you are always aware, prepared. And also that also motivates you to do the things that you want to do because you're telling yourself, I don't know what tomorrow will bring. So I better do it today because tomorrow will be tomorrow and we don't know what will tomorrow bring. Yeah, those challenges keep us on our toes for sure. Yes, 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 yes. And then I was thinking back to when you were saying like the 2012 Paralympics came around, being inspired, you being inspired by the infamous Oscar Pistorius in ways. But when I see those uh paralympians running or doing the long jump and stuff like that they always they always sprinting like why are you thinking marathon where did where did that come into to play like were you never thinking like maybe i should just start running the hundred now like why why did you think marathon you know i did try and run for the paralympics uh, for 2016 I did the 400 and the 200. And my times were not just that. So I ran, I think my fastest was like 23 seconds. Okay. And, and then around like 50 for the 
50 seconds for 100. Before 400, uh, 50, for uh, 400. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then yeah. I was not really built for uh, short distance. Uh, the whole time I've been running, I've been a long distance runner. And, you know, I kind of set this goal to challenge myself further. Mm-hmm. I felt like, yes, I have done the sprinting, but let me see how, can, how I can challenge myself. And I felt, you know, that you know, there's that gut feeling in you that tells you, you know, this is not your thing, but this is your thing. Why don't you do what your gut feeling is telling you to do? So I had that something telling me I needed to run marathon. And then I started training for marathon. I didn't even know that there was someone that had run a marathon on and prosthetics until I announced that I was switching to marathon. And then they were like, oh, there's this guy from England, Richard Whitehead, who is a bilateral, who had ran a 2.42 in a marathon. So now I'm like, oh man, what am I setting myself into? That is so fast. Am I, am I going to be able to run that? So I had a challenge going into it. But you yes, know, yes. like I said, it's just telling your mind, you know, I want to push my limits. Wait, so in the Paralympics, what is the longest distance? Do they not have like an 800 or or like Not for my classification. You know, there are different classes mm-hmm. in Paralympics. For, for the, for amputation, the ambulatory, the T63, T62, I, they, they don't have anything longer than the 400. The longest they have is a 400 meters. That's interesting. I did not, yeah, I did not know that. They didn't yeah. have that. And then, but I think by having you on the podcast, you're definitely like putting this on. And we're, I think we're, we're seeing that more because looking into more of your story, we've seen that you've been outspoken in that and people have like de- denied you. And can you kind of just like speak on the issues facing like people in your place that want that want to run longer distances and that deserve to be rewarded for your efforts and you're now starting to get that with the boston marathon i think we're the first starting to award you for your efforts in the marathon now new york city but what were what are just some of those issues for those uh w amputations like in the running world and then how does it feel now to be seen in the running community in some ways as you're record is getting recognized you know what i'm doing right now is you know i'm trying to you know open doors for Mm -hmm. a young kid out there who is not sure what they who looks on paralympics events and cannot find what they want to do so me running in marathons i am running to appeal to the paralympics that let's not limit the number of events based on the numbers that we think are out there. Until you provide that opportunity, until you provide that platform, you will not know how many people would show up. When Boston Marathon announced the para category for marathon, there were nine men that registered. Isn't that enough for an event in the Paralympics? And that is only in Boston. And it was also hindered by the pandemic Mm -hmm. because they announced in 2019 that 2020, but then, you know, we were hit by the pandemic and everything was shut. But imagine having those more opportunities. And also, this is the huge part too, inclusivity. We live in a society where that we, you know, particularly this era, we talk every time about how inclusive we want to, to make our society. Yeah. From like a perspective, from a, a disabled person perspective, we still, yes, we've seen a lot of progress. That is for sure. There is a lot of progress but there's still a long way to go, particularly in the running community. If you go to any major marathon today and look for results, the way they are classified, 
You're not going to find a place where they say those running with blades. The only disabled athletes that you would see are the hand cyclists and the, the wheelchairs sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then that is, it's assumed that those represent the entire uh, athlete with disability. Mm-hmm. So my appeal, and th- th- this, I have thought about this too at length. I don't want to distort the game by complaining. There is that because the more we, but then at the same time, I have to speak about what I think need to be done, need to be improved. And one of the things that we could do is make sure that every major marathon has a section for, you know, ambulatory, wheelchairs, hand. Talk of all the running, all the disabilities that we would have, recognize them. Make sure that you they, they are presented. They, they, you know, we are making awareness, creating awareness to the general public that this is what we're doing. Let's make the sport as inclusive as it can be. I don't think you're complaining, Marco. I, I don't, don't think, think you're so. complaining. It's it's a st- it's a it's a worthy stand that should be, especially for the marathon. Like, and I think it, I think it's just, that's just the problem. I think we have in running in general with a lot of things. Even like last year, what came to the head with like race. Like, we always feel that there's a there's a feeling that since track and field and like running has so many different categories that like it's so diverse. But like in reality, it ain't. It ain't that diverse, like, and there's still no, problems there. It, there's it, problems, it, and that is, and particularly, and, and you know, I am trying not to like, but I'm trying to highlight like from a societal point of view. Sometimes we look on the political world, mm-hmm. and we are like, oh man, our politics is so polarized. It's not inclusive. It's all this, but then you come to our sports activities. If you look at it, particularly in the running you know, people with disability, you look at it, it's not very different. There is a lot of things that we could, my dog is going crazy. Are you guys? <laughs> yeah, it's all it's good. Cool. He hyped, he hyped, you're preaching right now, he hyped. So yeah, like I was saying, you know, this is the part that I think, you know, we, the future generation, they really, really, really need to feel like they have uh, you know, a variety of things to choose from in Paralympics or yeah. in running world. And I think, too, a big part of it is just like highlighting those people that are doing those amazing things and giving them their flowers. Like, I feel that um, with with like the wheelchair races, like, uh, is it Tatiana? Tatiana, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, like she's honestly like, and I, I feel like she deserves even more, more praise. But I feel like I see her getting more and more attention, and that's gonna, you know, start to highlight the Paralympics a little bit more. And I think it's the same with with you. Like you're doing these amazing things, running two thirty five, and that, you know, it's all about just like, like you're saying, like it's not about complaining. It's about just like starting that conversation, and then more people start start to join in and then like you're saying like those nine people showed up at boston maybe next time it's 30 people you know so and remember this was only from america make it a global event like the paralympics mm-hmm. how many people you think they will show up yeah and in the year that we have a pandemic no facts facts and even just opening i didn't realize that the the blades were only running uh, the T the T sixty two and T sixty one were only running up to four hundred. Even extending that to an eight and a fifteen or a five k on the track, I think people will people will come if you if you open the door. People will will show up for sure, and they will realize that I can do that. I I can possibly like seriously do that. that yeah, that's that's something that needs to be said for sure. Take into account. It is. It is, and I I think. Like you said, and and I think the 
one of the biggest areas that I still think need to be capitalized more is the print and television media too, because you, because look, when we crossed the finish line, I crossed the finish line at the New York City Marathon, the cameras were already there. The only thing that they needed is someone to talk to me to highlight my story, but we don't get, it's not that we are asking somebody to come to like our rooms and our homes to do that. The, you look at NBC, they were covering the Boston Marathon. But if you go back and check, there was, they never mentioned the Paris section, Mm -hmm. but they were there in that event. Anyway, it was just somebody acknowledging they didn't need extra person. They didn't need extra equipment. They didn't need a, a different event. They were in that event. They just needed to. So I think that is where we need to start from. You know, we, we have people who are doing it already. We highlight those. We use their stories. They use their stories to share the word. And then somebody out there sitting, not knowing what they would do in life, would have an opportunity to understand that, wow, I didn't even know this thing exists. But if it's not talked about, then how does it even exist? If nobody is talking about it, it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. If it's not said, it was not done. Uh, I have nothing to say. He right. He right. (laughs) He right, bro. You're right. You're right. If it's not said, yeah you're right you're right and another question that that i had for you too is just being like a wmpt and a paralympic athlete like what are some of the misconceptions that people have about y'all that are just not that need to be changed and aren't aren't like true that you've seen and people have told you possibly the advantage that um i have running on blades people come to me and say how fast how fast can you run now on this than when you had your feet? Nobody has ever asked me what was your fastest time before this. There is an assumption that as soon as you become an amputee and you get a running blade, you have to be a fast person, a faster person. The blades don't use any motor. There is no motorized. This is just a mechanical uh, blade that is fitted on you and you just run on it. But then at the same time, I look on the person or the people who have that perception sometimes, then you see, you know, sometimes it's people who have no experience with running sometimes, or even in the running community in itself. They think maybe people running on blades have an advantage. But then you ask yourself, if this was really an advantage, don't you think more people would have visited their uh, orthopedic surgeons to get something like us and start running on something advantageous? Like who wouldn't want to run on something that gives you an advantage? So there's that aspect. And then also there's, there's this, I don't know if people understand how much time those athletes put in training. I train seven days a week, putting a lot of miles to be able to do that. It's not something that you just get a blade and go run. There's a lot of work that go into it for me to be able to show up or for another athletes like, you know, Richard Whitehead and Rudy and all those who showed up at the New York City Marathon, for them to show up and do what they did it's not that they just woke up and say, well, you know what? I have blades. I'm going to run the New York City Marathon. They put a lot of work, including myself. We put a ton of work. But you know, the surprising part about running on blades as an amputee, we run on the most expensive equipment, mm-hmm. but we get the least or even zero compensation for what we do. Isn't that an irony? Like we spend millions, we spend thousands to get a running leg, but then we go and run and 
the most that you know athletes with disability running on blades can do is fundraising mm-hmm. and that is where you know which is a good thing you know we fundraise to help other people because we understand the challenges that yeah. we face but it's just one of the ironies of you know the sport you use the most expensive equipment but you're getting no compensation most of the time and and you really know too because if y'all didn't know marco he'd be working on the prosthetics he'd be creating them and helping people out do do that kind of work as well so you he knows he knows and <laughs> just being it you, you said you talked about like the work that goes into it i'm interested to hear like you know how much has your training changed from when you were uh able bodied in college i think you were saying your event was like the 10k like how has your training changed? What was like your mileage like, or what what kind of went into that? You know, I, I you know, to, to, as a student athlete, you know, there was school and running, so it was not as intense as what I'm doing right now. But then, one, I was an able body, so my body was more functional than it is today as far as running is concerned. So even though I was not doing as much as I'm doing today, I had my biological feet and, you know, I was able to run faster. But now I put a lot of mileage, you know, around, you know, 60 to 100, depending on how close I am to the season, miles a week Mm -hmm. to be ready to do this. And then there's some gym, you know, workouts that I do too. So there is a lot that goes into it. Yeah, and then this is as we start closing out uh too that's one of the kind of questions i want to piggyback, piggyback off of this that i was thinking just before this because i've seen like you in video like you're riding on the trails in like claremont florida and stuff and i'm just thinking like do you ever get a lot of like i don't know I, i'm just curious i'm curious do you ever get like a lot of double takes from like people when you're running by like you're on like your 12 mile long run and like they like they like moving and then they like you run by them and they're like they're like, wait, wait, what? Like, <laughs> that's that's kind of like, that's, just, that's you don't see that every single day, you know? You know, there's a lot of positive support, like, out yeah. there at the same time, you know, they, 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 they you know, and then they, they, at the same time, you know, there's uh, that too. And then, but then it, it also inspires people, like, even though, like, they can, like, keep up with me, they're like, you know what? If someone out there is running without feet, I don't have any reason not to be doing this. So I have been stopped so many times. You know, people are like, I know you are doing it. I know you don't want to stop, but I just wanted to tell you something, you know. It's like, you, mm-hmm. whatever you are doing, I don't know if you're enjoying it or not. This is so inspiring. I, you know, just keep doing it. You know, I saw, you know, they tell me, they saw me like on Monday and maybe this is on Friday. And like, you know, after seeing you out there, I have been running every day because I feel like I don't have any reason not to do it. So yeah, I get some people who are like, wow, I cannot believe you can do this. And then at the same time, it's like, wow, in a good way. I've never had like yeah. a bad experience, no. Yeah, most definitely. So my, I definitely if I, if I seen you would run, I would be inspired for sure. I'll be like, dang, I'm about to, like, if I was doing repeats and I seen you run by, I'd be like, all right, I may go off this next thousand year repeat. Like, I'm sorry, coach. I gotta, I gotta run hard for my boy Marco. I mean, yeah, we saw you at NYC and we had to come and just record a record a video real quick. One question I also wanted to ask too, because when we were in, in NYC, we were talking to some Kenyans that were watching the race, um, asking them why they like the marathon too, and they said, all I know is that in Kenya, like we good at the marathon, like this is our thing. Can you talk about like the pride that comes with uh, being from Kenya and like being uh, a marathoner too? You know, like I said, when we started, some, you know, most of the time, the things we do is what we tell ourselves. You know, for Kenyan, they ran marathon, you know, when, you know, started running marathons, they did really good. And that positive talk, and it helped them build that confidence that this is a Kenyan thing. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of pride that comes with it. But I think for all of us, if you take pride in anything, you believe in yourself, it's going to be easy. You will make it. You will be able to, because we've seen a lot of other 
athletes that run marathons and they are not Kenyans and they are doing really, really well. But the, 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 the aspect of, you know, the, the confidence that they have. And this is something that I came and realized later in life that, you know, I think I used to think I need to build my confidence. But then that is not, there's, there's, there's no way you can build your confidence without building the skill or, you know, mastering your skill that you want to do. Yeah. Confidence will come when you've already mastered your skill and you're out there and then you do it. So these Kenyans, we, they train so hard in a very high altitude. You know, their diet is also, you know, diet is very important too. They're eating good food and running well and resting. That is the other part of running, getting good rest. And then they come and run and do good. So then that confidence levels goes up. And then they more they talk about how this is our thing, the more they believe in it and the more they can do it with a lot of confidence and pride. And then there's going with good results. It's just like you go to a race and telling yourself, man, I don't think I'm going to be able to win here. Like there is a high chance you're not going to win if you've already yeah. convinced yourself that you are not good at it. But the the fact that these Kenyans have decided to believe in this, that this is our thing and we know how to do it, it's boosted their, it boosted their ability to perform well in it because their mind and body and soul is there when they are doing it. And then as we wind down, we have two questions that we usually like to ask people on our podcast before we close out. One of them is we ask this question because sometimes we don't know who to get and sometimes it just happens by happenstance as well. But like, who do you think we should have next on the podcast? Any recommendations of somebody that you think would be great to have on to come on and talk with us? I think, well... I don't know someone by name that you would want, like that I, I really want you to. But then it would be interesting to get someone who does not like running at all. <laughs> Now we get the perspective of what is this that they don't like about running? Because we also want to hear about that. We cannot always hear about these awesome runners and the way they enjoy running. We need to hear why do people not like running then we can you know, come up with ways of convincing everybody to run. I like that. I haven't got, we haven't gotten that answer before. I like that. We'll definitely take that into consideration when picking our next guest. <laughs> And then last question. I know it's kind of deep for our last question on the podcast, but it's a good one to leave off of. Uh, what mark do you want to leave on the sport when it's all said and done, when you retire from this whole running thing, at least competitively, what mark do you want to leave on this sport? I want to make sure that people need, people will remember that. Do not count anyone out in running. No one should be counted out. Whether they have feet, whether they have feet, don't count them out. And Provided people are given opportunity, they will always do great. People have missed doing great things because they were not given that opportunity to prove themselves. I like that. I like, I like that second one too. That's good. Thank you. Thank you, Marco. Thank, Thank you, you, Marco, for coming on the podcast, man. I really do appreciate this conversation. And it's gonna, it's definitely gonna propel me into a better week. I believe so. And I think it's gonna propel our listeners into a better week. It was nice getting to know you. And Aaron, do you got anything else to say before we get out of here, bro? Yeah, I mean, just thank, yeah, thanks again. Like Joshua was saying, thank you, Marco, for coming on to the podcast. Definitely took a lot, a lot away from this conversation that we have for you. And I just hope we, I hope that together we could like shine a little bit more of a light on like the amazing accomplishments that you have already and like what you're doing for the para community is amazing so hopefully someone from the major marathons is listening in and they learn a little thing a thing or two as well but uh to everyone listening as well you know if you listen this far into the podcast you truly are a day one homie so 
Uh, appreciate y'all listening in. Rate the podcast if you can. Share this with a friend because I think this will really inspire someone and brighten their day most definitely. We got to do this again, Marco. Next time you break the world record, we're going to come back in. We're going to do this again once you break the world got, record again. We're going to be there next time. We'll, we'll, we'll probably be there next time, too. We're going to do it live in person. That's what we really for need real, to do. For real. I appreciate you. All right. Hey, thank you so much for having me, guys. All right. Thank you all for listening in, bro. It's the Two Black Runners podcast. See you all next Tuesday. Let's get it.